Guys, welcome to the Relaxed Running Podcast. Tyson Popplestone here. And I was just laughing with my wife saying, it's going to be a hard introduction to do today because the bloke's just got too many honours and achievements. The, uh, the guest on the show today is uh, none other than the great Steve Monaghetti. I, uh, I first came into contact with Steve back in 2006 when I was fanboying very hard, hosting a radio show in Adelaide called Athletics Weekly with my dad. Reached out to Monaghetti and uh, he was good enough to join then. So I was so glad, I said to him at the start of this podcast, I was so glad I wasn't as nervous tonight as what I was before that podcast, because it would have been, a, uh, before that interview, because it would have been a real jolty conversation tonight. But luckily for me, I had uh, got to spend a, a couple of years running alongside Mona when I lived in Ballarat to train with Rod Griffin and a whole heap of other guns. Um, hey, let me just do my best to give you an overview of what Steve Monaghetti has achieved. Here's some of his PB. So for the marathon, he ran two hours, eight, uh, two hours, eight minutes and 16 seconds. Half marathon, he ran an hour one. 10Ks, he's run 27.47. He's run 13.25 for 5K. He's just a freak uh, of, of all distances. That's some incredible range. Uh, he competed at four Commonwealth Games, or he won medals at four Commonwealth Games. There was a gold, a silver, there was two bronzes. Um, he's taken home medals at the World Marathon Champs and also the World Half Champs. There's honestly so much stuff that I'm leaving out of his biography that you've got to go and just Google it yourself because the list just goes on for about four pages <laughs> on Wikipedia. Uh, but tonight, I wanted to just delve into his mind and find out how he did it, what kept him going, speak about some of the uh, the background info that you might not know with a bloke like Steve Monaghetti. So I didn't delve too much into the um, ins and outs of, oh, how did that medal feel and how did that race feel? And I wanted to know more about the uh, the foundation and, and, and the surrounding team that he had. And uh, uh, this, this conversation was just awesome. We go down some really interesting avenues and it was just so good to hear um, what's inside the mind of a bloke like Steve Monaghetti. So really looking forward to presenting this one to you. Guys, if you're not a member over at Relax Running yet, make sure you jump on over. There's a few reasons you might want to join. Firstly, We've got the technique analysis program. So obviously me and Monat talk about the importance of moving efficiently during this conversation. And uh, one thing that a lot of people underestimate in the running world is just how much of a difference running efficiently can have on your running performance. But it can be a little overwhelming knowing where to start. So that membership is designed so that, uh, hey, you don't have to stress, I can guide you through it. So if you want to check that out, uh, make sure you jump over to relaxrunning.com and click on the Relax Running membership. There's also a, a, a video library of which is constantly growing. Did a little video, bonus video with Mona where he speaks about getting ready for your marathon. Uh, there's a, a growing number of videos on there. Also the training programs, the community forum. Uh, so you jump over to get your three-day free trial. But guys, that's enough from me. I'm uh, really looking forward to introducing today's guest. If you want to watch it, make sure you jump over to YouTube. Click on the Relaxed Running channel and uh, you can watch it there. Hey, really appreciated a number of the uh, show reviews that are coming through. It really helps our podcast rank higher. So if uh, if you're enjoying these chats or if you enjoy this chat, hey, do me a favor and just jump on uh, to whatever it is that you listen to your podcasts on. I'm not sure if you can do it on Spotify, but the Apple Podcasts um, accept five-star reviews and comments. So I hey, really appreciate those comments. And uh, yeah, as I said, if you're a fan, hey, jump over, throw us a bit of love. But that's enough from me. Let me get out of your way and introduce to you 208 marathon runner, all-round great bloke, Steve Monaghetti. What's going on? You look like you've got a good setup there. You've got the theatre the theater curtains in the background. Yeah, well, that's what everybody says. They're just, um, they're just curtains we've had. This was a f- sort of a formal room when we did our renos and now it's my office. But everyone says that, but it, they're just covering a window, to be honest. <laughs> smart move. Smart move. I've, uh, it's a better option than me. I always have to just run around and clean up the background, clean up all the, uh, the crap that's laying around just to make sure it's yeah. half respectable for, uh, for someone like yourself on the other side. Uh, that's fine, mate. I don't judge you. I do a lot of Zoom calls, as you can probably imagine. That's most of my life now, or a lot of my life. So I just, I'm, I'm ready. I'm normally pretty organised, which is good. What are you up to, mate? What are you doing? So um, did you ever meet Jesse? With yourself. Did you, my um, wife, Jesse. You might have seen her around, Mona. It's gone back. Maybe. Years. 
I, um, yeah. we've just, uh, we've, well, six months ago, we moved out of Hawthorne where we were and we're living down in yeah. Queenscliff now. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So we, um, we, we had a Sea little change. fella. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. So we had a little fella about nine months ago and, uh, and we thought oh, it might be nice to, to bring him down into the, uh, into the country. So Jesse grew up in Ballarat and she said, oh, she's, she's right. not, not too keen to get back there. She goes, but oh, you know what? We'll go to the country down in, uh, in Queenscliff. I was, I would have been a pretty easy sell. I think I'm, uh, as, as long as it's a, a little bit cheaper than what it is in Melbourne at the moment. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, yeah, it's been it's been awesome, Mono. We've been been really enjoying it down here. So uh, yeah, it's still oh. settling in, and apparently you can't call yourself a local unless you're born here. So I'm uh, I'm just no, I'm just on a long term holiday. Right. It sounds like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you're working? Yeah, Mono. I uh, I'm I'm doing a little bit of casual uh, teaching. Yep. But um, but this relaxed running, I've I've been doing a lot more of this. But it's actually um like a lot of preseason football running programs. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I've uh, I've gradually been phasing out of the uh, out of the teaching and trying to focus yep. more on this, which is which has been nice. Which is part of the reason we could come down here just with a bit of flexibility. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it doesn't matter where you are, really, does it? If you if you can be connected, got good internet, and you yeah. can do basically that's all you need. You can be anywhere, can't you? Nowadays. That's it, Mona. Hey, um, I was gonna, I was gonna ask, does does roughly an hour, give or take, a couple of minutes work for you? If you got to go earlier, let me know, yeah. and that's no dramas either. I just, no, that's fine. I always get to about no, forty no, minutes, fine. and if I haven't mentioned that, I think, oh crap, I don't want to bring it up now. <laughs> no, no, people, I, I do a lot of these, obviously, so they vary from. I think one guy, I got a note from a guy today who's doing wants to do one. He said twenty minutes, and I said, wow, that's good. <laughs> right, I don't know what you're going to do in twenty minutes, but anyway, that's fine. And it's, other um, ones, you know, are normally sort of 40, 45, but they go end up going an hour because, you know, we get chatting about stuff. So that's fine, mate. It's so true. Yeah, no, I always say it's just um, I hope it's not, it doesn't just turn out like an awkward first date and you get half an hour in and go, actually, sorry, I forgot I got, <laughs> I got something yeah. So if that happens, I'll know uh, I just wasn't holding the conversation very well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> awesome. Well, I, um, I'm already recording good. Uh, I've, yep. I tell you, I did one with... um. You know Zane Robertson, the the New Zealand marathon runner, oh, yeah. and mate, yeah, it was it was yeah. such a great conversation. It went for probably an hour fifteen. He was a really good bloke, and I got to the end and went to press stop recording, and it started recording, oh, right. and I just felt oh. like a dickhead. I felt so bad. I was yeah. like, mate, so I'm still trying to line up another round with him. So it's a uh, I get nervous. Okay, it's definitely saying recording. <laughs> yeah, I can see it's recording. Better awesome. you do all that stuff before you chat, and then you know you're set up and ready to go in case you get distracted, like I would. Yeah. He's a good guy. I've met him a few times up at Gold Coast. So that was, a bit, yeah. bit different in what he's, you know, he's pretty out there, but he's pretty forthright in what he's got to say. So I'm sure he'd give you some good value. I got that vibe. Yeah, it took us, it felt like it took us about 20 minutes for me just to to sort of, um, just, it's different on Zoom sometimes, just trying to understand that uh, it's difficult not to interrupt someone at the best of time. And then he was quite, um, like quite thoughtful in the way that he spoke. So I would always think he'd finished his sentence, but he's actually just thinking about which direction. So the first 20 minutes, I was just interrupting the poor bloke. So it's probably good it didn't go out to the public. <laughs> right. <laughs> anyway, Mona. Hey, um, it's just hard to get to know, I think. That's his, you know, once you sort of get through the veneer and, you know, all the Kenya and you've done this and you've done that and, you know, your brother and New Zealand and all that sort of stuff, once you kind of clear all that out, yeah. it probably relaxes a bit then. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And I was going to say, this one, um, I do my best. Pardon the pun. The, the podcast is called Relaxed Running. So, um, and, and like with the with the uh, the chats, it's I try and keep them less interviewing and, and more more conversational. So I hope I don't. Uh, if I if you start feeling like I'm asking you about a detailed history of all your world championships and what you felt during the race, it's just I've gone down the wrong track. So uh, <laughs> if you want to interrupt yeah. me or or disagree or or just whatever, so just just make it your own mono. As you know, it's uh, you do plenty of these. So, yep. I'll be. Nah. I'll just be who I am. I'll be natural. Yeah, go, awesome, it goes, mate. That's fine. Awesome, Great. We'll kick it off. I um actually, I was I was thinking just before uh before <clears> I jumped <throat> on here. This isn't our first our first recorded conversation, but I was interested to know how good your memory was because it was a big deal for me back in uh, two thousand and six. I'd moved to South Australia after finishing year twelve, and my dad was working in the media scene over there, and. Uh, yep. He was yep, working for a, yep. a radio station called Five uh, RPH, which was a, a, a what do you say, just a community radio station. We had a weekly show called Athletics Weekly, and uh, you and your dad. Me, That's right. Yeah. <laughs> he said to me one week, he goes, "Mate, 
he goes, uh, why don't you reach out to Steve Modigetti and see if you could get him on? And I thought, oh, where do you even start? And uh, I don't know where we did start, but we managed to get you on. And I was thinking, oh, that could be testing your memory 15 years ago, but that was the first recorded conversation that I think on reflection, I, I hope this one goes better than that, Monica, because I was a lot more nervous <laughs> for that one, I think. I remember it well. No, I think your dad um, led you in. He was, he was looking after you, so it was good. Uh, it's good to... Good to catch up again, mate. Yeah, no, it is. It's been a little while. I um, I was actually, I was trying to have a have a think about when the last time I saw you was, but it must have been, yeah, it'd be going on seven or eight years. Like I've I've seen you in the distance at a couple of races, but haven't had a chance to to run on over and, and say g'day. But I I actually I saw you around the Great Ocean Road, fourteen k a couple of weeks ago, and I misread your Instagram post because I was at the start line of the half marathon marathon, just uh, rocking an MC. Roll and I, I saw your uh, your post the night before saying that you were you were out on the Great Ocean Road and I thought you were, you were saying that you were out there the next day so I, I wrote a quick message down the bottom saying hey I'll, I'll come and say g'day and then I realised that the uh, the race was twelve hours ago so I quickly deleted my comment but you look like you're moving uh, well Mona you were uh, you posted some of your splits and and you still got it yeah I ran well that day I'm kind of in between I, I mean I've had calf issues for a while so I was I've been a bit off and on for a couple of years but I I seem to be able to race okay but then I like I've got really sore calf the other calf now and so I'm having a couple of weeks um of quiet running and then I sort of get back going and then I get a bit carried away and run too fast my body doesn't like it and I <laughs> break down again that's got out work but I was happy 324s I think down there for it was 13 and a half not 14 but no I felt um I reckon that's pretty good running considering you know, I haven't done a lot, so, you know, obviously my background serves me pretty well, mate. Yeah, a little bit of muscle memory. Yeah, I was going to I was gonna ask mm. you what kind of training you've been up to lately because I feel like you mentioned the name Steve Monaghetti and it sort of just comes into my mind that you'd still be doing some ridiculous amount of training. And I know that because obviously uh, for, for those listening, I, I spent three or four years up in Ballarat and um, I reckon, how old are you now, Mon? I don't want to give away any secrets, but I reckon you were in your, um, you've just broken the, the 50 uh Oh, was it under 50 or 50 year old 10k road record and i reckon you were still tearing me up on a couple of races and i was supposed to be in my prime so <laughs> yeah i'm 58 and a half now so yeah that, that makes been, sense yeah, i might have been i was still going pretty well i think that's the thing you know I, I retired not because i wasn't running well i just achieved a lot and my body was you know, starting to just struggle with the training. So for me, you know, I probably could have ran for another four or five years. You know, I went to World Cross Country. I finished 30th at the World Cross Country in retirement in <laughs> whatever, I think 2004. So, you know, you can you can obviously see from that that I stayed in pretty good shape. And it actually worked out really well because I've been able to eke a career out of post-running, just going to events and sort of, um, you know, being in a position to um, still add value to the running scene, which has been, and I think staying in good shape meant I was winning a lot of races. So I transitioned really well because I retired at the right time, I reckon. Yeah. So how long ago did you say your official retirement was before, prior to 2004 then, hey? Yeah, 2000. So that the Olympics, the, the Olympic marathon was my last official race. And anything after that, I just called, you know, a fun run or a, a or an event that I went to a long run. If it was a marathon and I didn't go too hard, it was just a long run, to be honest. Yeah. So, yeah, I've been retired. Someone re- reminded me, you know, I, I sort of I burst onto the scene probably in 85, World Cross Country in 86. So, you know, I had a career of about 16 years and now here I am retired. 21 years so I'm, I'm a hell of a lot longer retired than I was a runner so I'm at the other end of the spectrum and uh and how many k's are you busting out a week at the moment in your retirement Mona? so not many interestingly I'm spend I'm doing more k's on the mountain bike riding like tonight I rode with um uh, Freeman Matty Freeman here in Ballarat and he probably ran I think we're um about oh, 13k so I rode on the mountain bike with him so I, I ride the mountain bike Monday, Wednesday, normally Fridays, and then I'm running. Um, I'm trying to get. I've got up to about 20k on a Sunday morning, and then I do a, a run and a session on a Tuesday if my body's okay. So sort of 12 or 13k with a, a lap of the lake doing something, as you would know, a bit of fart licks and k's or something in that middle lap, and then uh, Thursday I'll just go for a run with the guys, and then Saturday I might do a session over hills or um, a tempo run. So we often, you know, the guys will do a 10K where we get going a bit. Or I might just run if my body's not coping. So I'm doing about, at best, 50K a week 
one and a half sessions and that's allowing me just to keep the legs ticking over, which is good. And I'm, that's enough for me. That's probably about all my body can sustain. And yet, you know, I can come out and still run 14K in, in whatever it was, 13 and a half K in 46 minutes, which is kind of shows the background. And if I, I couldn't do any more because my body can't manage it, you know, I mean, I'm breaking down as it is, but I'm kind of getting away with managing it in between. And that's just a nice balance. And, you know, I've always tried to respect my body. So whilst I'm still competitive in my mind, you know, physically, I've got to understand that, you know, I've put my body and legs through a lot. So they don't deserve to be um, hammered anymore. They've done, they've served me pretty well. Yeah, I tell you, I feel like it comes with the territory, the hammering of the legs just up in Ballarat. That was part of the reason I moved there because I'd been training with with Adam Diddick for a little while under the guidance of Sean Crichton uh, when I was in Adelaide in 2006. And some of the stories he told me about his time in Ballarat, I thought, oh, it just, it just sounds like the right place to go if you're, you're trying to get good at running. And I remember coming out for a couple of those early runs with you guys and thinking, all right, well, the pace of the long runs that I've been doing the last couple of years probably weren't quite up to scratch because it's pretty. Uh, it's a pretty scary. It's a pretty scary thing to look into when you're five k's into a a twenty one k long run on a Sunday and uh, and you're struggling up some of the hills. <laughs> so it must be nice to to get on that mountain bike for a change and let that body recover from uh, from years of smashing some of those long trails. And and what what gee what twenty one k's wouldn't have uh, wouldn't have even really come close to a long run in in your marathon preparations back in your heyday, would it? No, not at all. You know, and that's you know that's what you had to do. And for me. You know, I look back and, and I didn't really have any injuries until I had a couple of Achilles sort of late in my career and 98, 99, but effectively, you know, I had sort of 15 years from sort of the early 80s when I started ramping up my training. I was running, you know, 180 to 200 Ks most weeks and to be able to absorb that and basically have hardly any time off was, it's amazing, you know, how resilient the body can be. And it was just adapting. You know, I tell people I wasn't all that good as a kid, but I enjoyed running and I could never have imagined, I remember thinking, God, if I ever do 100K a week, that'll be amazing. And, you know, by just gradually sort of building up and um, being under the wise guidance of Chris Wardlaw from sort of 83 through to um, the end of my career. And even now he's still my mentor whilst I don't need coaching, but, you know, I still um, ring him and chat to him about different matters. But that guides and it just basically, I was just gradually overloading and getting up to, I think one week, I think, 1996 in Townsville, Rod DeHyden and I had a little competition and I think I ran 234K for that week. So um, um, some pretty amazing mileage in there. And, you know, over my lifetime, I reckon I've probably done, oh God, 300,000 Ks or something. It's a massive amount of training. But that, Tyce, you know, that's the sort of training you have to do to put yourself in the position that I was in. And everyone sort of says, oh, you know, you're a natural runner, you know, you look so smooth, you're always going to be good. But, you know, talent and ability only gets you so far. And then, as you know, it's that hard work of, you know, I was running twice a day, every day. And I remember people, I often get asked a question, you know, oh, you know, what are you, what were you doing the, the, the rest of the day? You know, oh, did you do weights? Did you cross train? I say, you go and run 200Ks a week. Just... <laughs> Think about doing that. Just come and tell me if you want to feel like cross training. You know, you feel like doing weights or any other stuff. I was so tired that I, I couldn't do anything else. It was impossible. You know, it's only 13 hours a week of training or something, but just the the actual um, the pounding on your body, you can't do any more than that. And I, I love telling the, the story. The only extra session I used to do was Thursday afternoons at 2 o'clock and I'd have an hour there where I would dedicate to this other session that I would do. And you know what that was, Tyson? I would get into my pyjamas and get in bed and have an hour's sleep. And that was the only extra session I did for the week. The rest of it was just pure, basic running. I thought you were about to tell me you spent an hour down the pub. I'm glad I didn't get a chance to guess because I would have been way off. Uh, well, that'd probably be just as useful, but uh, <laughs> no, I, was, I was so knackered by then, I just needed to catch up. So, you know, an hour's sleep before the Thursday night track session, which, you know, which, which I remember you doing some fantastic track sessions down at Lamberis, mate. We had some good sessions down there. And I think that's where you were at your best. I love seeing you move. You know, I've never been a pretty runner. I think I was efficient, but you you actually moved really well. And some of the sessions I used to see you guys do down there was was a um, 
pretty impressive, to be honest. It made me look and think, geez, how come I can't run like that? <laughs> um, I can't run like that, but I can run a bit longer. Yeah, that's like, right. Oh. I tell you, at the end of the day, it's funny looking back. I would have uh, I would have taken your your PBs, Mona, as pretty as I might have looked. I think I look at my marathon time and I go, you know what? I don't care if it's not so pretty, but I'm, I'm glad. I remember actually there was a couple of sessions where you pulled me aside after a session and said, mate, hey, you look really good out there. And it's funny how much a little compliment like that can just keep you going for a, for a few more months. So they're good memories and, uh, and and far out, there's some serious talent. I don't know how much you're following the uh, the Aussie the Aussies overseas at the moment, but another bloke who came from that crop, Mono, as you know, was uh, little Stewie McSwain, who's Stewie. not so little yeah. anymore. I was, I was thinking about him on the run today and, I was just interested to hear your perspective on on how things are tracking there because it's it's sort of just been it, it's been absolutely mind blowing. He was training with uh with Jack Davies when I was there, who was a phenomenal talent as well. And I think poor bugger had a little bit of trouble with injuries, so probably didn't get the consistency. But just to see Stewie sort of that mix of talent and hard work, like you just spoke about, and the places that it's taken him has has been incredible to watch for me and, and super exciting. But yeah, what have you made of the whole thing? Oh, he is amazing. Incredible to think that, you know, he, he was at Clarendon where our kids go to school and, and you know, he, he was up a couple of weeks ago as a good guy that he is. Just they had their lap of the lake and he um, came up and did the celebrity appearance, which um, <laughs> a few of the kids appreciated. And, you know, then he goes off to Europe. Uh, I caught up with him for a coffee and then off he goes to Europe and runs 331. Amazing. And mm. um, just the 1,500-metre stocks at the moment, Jai Edwards, Ollie Hall, uh, Matt Ramsden, Poor old Grego, sort of oh. making Grego look like he's um, he's battling with so many Australians. <laughs> I mean, he's still running okay, but it's just making him look pretty um, average compared to how Stewie, you know, Doha the other night was fantastic. Cherry, obviously, is fantastic, you know, the world champion, I think, from a couple of years ago. And he's following him down the straight and um, and running 3.31. I think what's he got now? Four, three of the four fastest times in history. And who could imagine that guy? I'm just sitting here... In, in my house about 200 metres from Lake Wendouree where he would have spent a lot of his time just running around having a good time. As you say, Jack Davies was the king of the kids and Stewie was sort of tailing him and hoping to just hang in there and <laughs> keep up with Jack and here we are, whatever it is, seven or eight years later and he's ruling the world and it's so exciting. Just goes to show though, you know, you just, um, again, you know, if you hang in there and you enjoy what you're doing and you work hard, um, look at the results you can get and, um, you know, Jess Hull has also broke 15 minutes for 5K the other day. And, oh, I missed that. Um, yeah, and I had to look up. There was a Kai Robinson, I think, another guy, and a, a guy, um, Tipas, I think, in the steeple. So we've just got guys even that I'm, I'm struggling to keep up with because our, our middle distance distance running is going unbelievably well. And um, I think we're probably seeing, I mean, Stewie and Jess could potentially be two of our greatest um, runners, greatest athletes, you know, not only runners, greatest athletes that we've ever had. They're certainly setting, you know, they're probably already, Stewie's pretty close to that now with his performances. He's, he's outstanding, just needs to win a couple of medals just to top it off and away we go. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny you say that. It's so interesting that, uh, was it three of the top 1,500 metre times that he has on the Australian books? Or was it three just three? Or four, of... I reckon. I think yeah. Grego's um, the only one ahead of him. So I think Grego's what he ran high three to uh, three thirty point, and I think Stewie's got a couple of low three one three thirty and two three thirty ones. I reckon. So yeah. I reckon he's probably first, third, and fourth on our all time list. So now. it's so funny that you say that, Mona, because I remember watching Stewie just as he was sort of breaking through the ranks a little bit. And I was thinking, ah, oh, I reckon it could just be the speed factor that might let him down. And I reckon a week later, at about 21, he went out and ran a 3.55 mile. And I was like, I'm so glad I didn't make that statement public. <laughs> because- but he wasn't, he wasn't quick here. That's the thing. He's sort of a gangly sort of kid who sort of knew, needed to grow into his body, but never really exceptionally fast. So it's something he really has developed in the last few years. And, you know, the fact that I could never I, – I seriously – would have lost so much money like you if we were betting on on his speed. And, you know, I always thought he'd be a 5'10". I'm not surprised he got the 10K Australian record because I thought that's probably where his um, strength would be. But the the way, how fast he's become, it's just, mm. it is seriously, it's is mind-boggling. Yeah. No, it's interesting. I had him on the podcast. I've had him on a couple of times, but the first time I spoke to him, he was telling me, so he just, I don't think he had broken the Australian record, but he'd run 331 high. And it was a little bit before mm-hmm. Stewie. Uh, sorry, a little bit. Uh, he, was, he was closing in on Gregson's record. And uh, yeah. I said to him, I go, mate, like, so how, how are you adjusting the training going into that? 
And he's like, oh, Toss, we don't really adjust it, but O's got us on a pretty solid uh, program all, all through the year. He goes, actually, I hadn't run any 400s faster than 60 seconds when I ran 331, which I just couldn't fathom. I always felt mm-hmm. like, and this is probably looking back at my training, I probably peaked a little bit too early in terms of uh, the length of a track season and, and not at the level that he was running at. But uh, just his ability to be able to turn the legs over at that speed with the amount of Ks he's doing is, is incredible. But uh, yeah, far out, that could be a whole podcast in itself, Mona, and I, I don't want to get too yeah. far off track because I'd taken a little mental note to go back to something you said because I'm not sure whether I've falsely attributed this to you or whether it's from uh, Chris Wardlaw, but it's the phone book theory about just the, the layering of, of training as being like pages in the phone book. And you reminded me when you were speaking about durability and um, just your career where you, you know, you hadn't really been impacted at all with, with injury. And I was going to ask you a, a little bit about that. Firstly, um, you know, whether or not that was, was yours or, or Chris's theory. And secondly, sort of what you attribute your, your ability to um, just keep on going. Cause I always hear someone who's remained injury free and I go, okay, they must be doing a lot of strength and conditioning, a lot of recovery work and, um, that hour on a Thursday sounds like it must have worked wonders for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think Chris probably originally took the phone book. Sorry, but I, I used to run with it a bit in my own um, speaking. Um, and, you know, I think it's a lovely story because we, I think we all oh, – kids probably don't know what a phone book is anymore, but in our <laughs> day, you know, it was, it was a sort of an iconic thing. And, and I think we all remember the, the page, you know, you'd be able to flick through the phone book and it was so thin – that, it, you know, if you rip one page out, it would just sort of float down like a feather. And yet if you had the Sydney or Melbourne yellow pages, you know, they were like a brick. So you could kill a robber if they were at your door. So I think that layering effect, so, you know, you put one page and, and um, you know, you, you, you multiply that. And if you're having interruptions, you know, the other, the other theory we use is the, the water in the well. And if, your or money in the bank and if you're putting water into the well then it you know it tops up and hopefully it's overflowing because you've got so much training and that's when you're ready to race but if you think about if you're injured or you're having time off that's when the sun's evaporating that water and it's getting drawn out of the well rather or the water level in the well sinking so I think that's a really good way of thinking about it because it means that any interruptions are detrimental to your your consistency in that overall performance and I can honestly say that you know I'm not sure why it was obviously I'm pretty biomechanically sound I'm really light on my feet you know I I think that um, you know not putting a lot of pounding through my legs really made a difference but you know you probably know um, I, I saw a physio really early on in my career and to his credit he said look you know there's a pattern forming here you know, you run a hard race, a marathon, you get injured, you come and see me, I fix you, off you go, you race, you know. And he said, why don't we sw- switch that around and you come and see me before you get injured and we'll start trying to get a bit of a, you know, system going here that prevents you getting injured. And that's exactly what happened. And Pete Howley, and, you know, I, again, I love telling the story of I got um, invited to the London Marathon in 1989 and they said you can have a business class fare or you can... Um, have two economy fares. And I said, oh, I'm not precious. That's fine. I'll, I'll have a couple of economy um, fares. And they said, oh, who do you want to take? And I thought, well, you know, I could take my Tanya, my fiance, or um, or Chris, my coach, or, you know, training buddies, Walshy Boyley and those guys. And so I took my physio and that's it. So <laughs> Pete Halley came with me and um, he travelled with me for 10 years, wrote my, my biography and, you know, we're great mates to this day. And his ability to read my body was no doubt one of the reasons why I had the consistency. And incredibly, Chris Wardlaw was in Melbourne. I would see Pete Howley and he would have as much influence on my training as Chris would because Chris would set out my training and and I'd sort of do it to what um, I thought the standard he wanted. But if Pete Howley said, oh, look, you need to back off a bit because your legs are a bit sore or you've got this issue, then I would. And Chris respected that and and I think that's one thing I had over my career. I think I had clarity in, you know, my physio, I trusted implicitly. My coach, I trusted implicitly. And as, as I say, Pete Howley is still a good friend. I have a coffee with him every few months. Chris Wardlaw, I could ring him tomorrow and I'd have a chat. Stephen Smith, my manager, you know, my accountant, still, you know, living in Torquay, retired now, but we still catch up. So that continuity of being able to get a team around me that I trusted implicitly and I, I did my it's a bit it's like a business lecture it's like you know I did my due diligence 
But then once I'd done my due diligence and decided that that person was the right person, I trusted them implicitly and, and their judgment. And they knew that, you know, they had their responsibility. They took it seriously. And then, you know, that was the team that I put together and it worked incredibly well. And, and, and the only other thing I, I think probably, and we've already talked about how, how special it is here in Ballarat, I think the, the variety of surfaces that I ran on here in Ballarat really helped. So in the bush on, you know, fire trails, dirt tracks, and even tonight when I rode with Freeman, we were on a gravel path, the Yarrawee Trail out to Magpie and back. So the variety of surfaces up and down, undulating hills, just um, working different muscle groups in your body, I think was pretty significant. And it's a beautiful environment. And if you love the environment and you're smiling on your face when you're out training, well, that also helps as well, I reckon. Yeah, nah, you're right. And there's uh, there was plenty of banter to add to those group runs as well, wasn't there? I'm not sure if Nate Hardigan's still running ever? around up there with you, is he? <laughs> Yeah, he's, he's been a bit off and on, but I, I had a run with him. I hadn't ran with him for about a month and I caught up with him last week and it was like the conversation, that, you know, whatever we finished <laughs> on a month ago, he just picked straight up and away we went. And a bit like I remember uh, the other story I used to tell about Troopy, um, you know, people probably know Lee Troop, um, you know, my best mate and now lives in Boulder, Colorado, but he moved to Ballarat and trained with me for um, 10 years and he was a sprinter in a, or distance runner in his sprinter's body because he was just mad. He was wild. I remember, I think I knocked on his front door. I'd pick him up on a Sunday morning. I'd knock on his front door. I'm sure he was climbing in the back window <laughs> and coming out the front door when I was knocking on because he just got home. And some of the stories he would tell, and I, I, I'd always sort of, we ran two and a half hours and I'd kind of I'd run over to his house about five minutes away and I'd we'd, we'd start the run and I'd kind of go, Oh, so what happened last night? And about two hours later, I wouldn't have to say another word. I'd just run along and he'd just be like this for the whole time and we'd get the rundown of every every moment of the night and uh, very entertaining, filled in a long run, that's for sure. Oh, man, I actually I had him on here a while ago as well. And I'll tell you, I think it was the same story and I absolutely loved it. I said to him uh, at the end of the podcast, I go, mate, you're my favourite kind of person to speak to because I feel like that was the best conversation I had and I reckon I asked four <laughs> questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, we caught up on, we had a bit of a catch up um, the other night as well. And he's just, he's a ripper bloke. And, um, they're, and they're the things, you know, out of, I talk, you know, I've already talked about Pete Howley, Chris Wardlaw, Rod DeHyde and Troopy, you know, these um, Stewie catching up with coffee. We haven't spoken once about a race result. And that's what I love about running for me. You know, I, I was a 14 year old kid who, my neighbour knocked on the door and invited me out to running race. And here I am, that was 14, so what am I, 58? So here I am 44 years later and I have just been so fortunate to meet so many great people along the journey. And running's, running's the reason it's happened, but it's just the, the vehicle that's made those friendships and those fantastic times, the great experiences you have, has been, um, been an incredible journey. Yeah. Mona, these guys that you're riding the bike with, are you are you coaching anyone at the moment or are you there as more of a mentor role for, for these? Uh, well, I don't know. I guess it's a combination of both young and old in some of the names that you're mentioning. Yeah. So, well, Freeman's coached by Collis Birmingham and a lot of the other guys I ride with are coached by um, Julian Spence or Moose. So well, there's a bit of a combination and I, I'd probably mentor and advise probably three or four of them. They're, they're, they're uncoachable so <laughs> so uh, they use me as a sounding board and they're they're experienced enough you know they know what to do and so we just bounce ideas around but one great thing about COVID last year I um because I wasn't going to events and I had a bit of time on my hands and I had a bit of a go before at real coaching and it just didn't quite work and you know I had programs that I kind of wasn't um, really following up and they were getting sent out and it was, just wasn't working very well. And so in COVID last year, I decided, and, and my son's doing um, exercise science, so I thought it might be an opportunity for him to do it, write a few programs, get a bit involved. And um, anyway, so I set up, I sent out a, a bit of a, uh, I think it was on Instagram, just inviting people if anyone was interested in getting some coaching. And um, I've got about 20 people that I'm coaching and it has been Fabulous, absolutely terrific. And, and all ranges, you know, I've got one lady from just out the other side of Dalesford who walk runs and up to someone like um, Krishna Stanton, who's a Commonwealth silver medalist and um, in her 50s and going really well and has never really had an established coach and she's loving it. And just that I've really enjoyed, it allowed, has allowed me to move on a little bit from my running. I, you know, I think I've probably got 
a little bit obsessed again. A couple of years ago, I was breaking those world records and just was sort of becoming really serious. You know, I wouldn't go, if you ask me out for a beer the night, oh, I can't go, I've got a race tomorrow. And it was just impacting my life again. I was getting a bit serious. So I've kind of backed that off a bit. And it's this, the coaching has allowed me to just, you know, pass on my knowledge. And it's, I take it very seriously. I talk to most of them um, once every couple of weeks or, um, you know, sending programs. I actually, I've written couple of programs today and I've taken a little while to get just just trying to get a what would I term it I'd term it running a marathon off less training because I'm I'm gathering that people want to do about 70 80k a week and they want to run a marathon which to be honest Tyson it's not I I, I, I don't want to let people do it but I've just got to relent because to <laughs> me you shouldn't do that because it's yeah. You know, you're running 42k in one day and you're thinking you're going to run 70 for the week well kind of doesn't match up but i just realized now people have got lives you know i had no i didn't have a life i just ran so <laughs> i realize now that you know it's part of the balance i've written a, a, a couple of programs today that i'm about to send out to the group and just you know that i think will probably allow them to realize some of their um, dreams that you know i was able to do over my career so to be able to pass that on has been something i've really enjoyed and again it's that it's that human contact that I'm really enjoying, the social side and the, the conversation I'm having with these people and just I'm learning as much as they're learning. I learn about their lives and some of the things that they find useful and adapt to my coaching. And it's, um, it's been a real bonus for me out of COVID. Yeah, no, that's unreal. So did you say what you've, you've got 20 and you've sort, of, you've sort of limited it at 20 or are you still taking athletes on? Because I can no, imagine there'd I, be plenty of people whose ears yeah. just perked up. Yeah, I, 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 to be honest... I'm struggling to keep up with the 20 because I'm on a couple of boards and I've got, you know, I was, I was the um, uh, interim chair of the, the Australian Sports Commission for a while. So I've sort of got this, this, this other kind of area of my life where I'm on, you know, pretty, um, pretty heavily involved in, in sport in other aspects. And, and, and that keeps me really busy. But I love this because this is real grassroots. This is really, you know, where I'm at. And I love, um, you know, um, interacting with that group of people. So... 20s probably in fact it's probably slightly too many but I'm, I'm i'm hoping and if there's people out there listen to this and i am coaching i think yeah no he's doing a pretty good job and i, I take it very seriously so i think that's about right yeah awesome and are these are these athletes uh, are they local athletes or are they just from out and about just uh, pretty much anyone who you know who got in in enough time to to get your guidance from around australia or what's the what's the setup there yep i just said and uh, they wrote back or sent a message back and i just followed it up and so I've got a guy from Darwin, a um, few from down Geelong, so three are down Geelong, one South Australian, um, ACT, a couple out of Brizzy, um, one in Bendigo via Lawn or Lawn via Bendigo, whichever way you look at it, a um, couple from Ballarat that, that just that didn't know me, so just by coincidence happened to be from Ballarat. I um, don't think I've got any from WA. I, one in Darwin, I said, yep, um, Toowoomba. So, yeah, all around Australia. So a good mix, good combination. One up on the border, Baruga. Yeah, so a, a, a nice combination. i just got to think. I don't want to leave anyone out. <laughs> One from Mount Versa, that's right. Um, Apollo Bay, God. No, plenty, plenty of variety. So a good range of um, places. But all Australian, but from various states of Australia and in various states of running being a major part of their life, but at, at different sort of levels of their lives. Yeah, awesome, Mona. Mate, I've got a I've got a bad habit that I've gradually been trying to weed out of uh, these podcast interviews, and it's going down a massive deep rabbit hole and then having to do a backtrack to something you said earlier. But I'm going to do it, and uh, yep. I'm sure the audience are going to forgive me because I've apologised for it before, probably just anticipating it at this, uh, at this stage of the journey. But you were saying, was it Peter Howley was your physio? Yep. Yeah, and you were mentioning that. Uh, so you would have the big marathon, then you'd get injured, and then you'd go to him for the uh, for the treatment. Was there was there a consistent injury that just kept poking its head up for you, or were they were there a variety of things that you're going to get treatment for uh, after the uh, after the big runs, the big marathons? Early on, the first couple was um, ITB, and nobody knew what it was. So iliotibial band syndrome, um, ITBS, and I kind of made it a bit. Um, popular at the time because I had it after 86 and 87 and so that was the first thing but then it was just a succession of things kind of you know I was I was always always had tight hamstrings and we didn't do a lot of the the what do you do now core stability glute <laughs> activation 
I've never done any of that sort of stuff. So my hamstrings, I think I was always tight in the hamstrings. So I'd get a lot of treatment on just loosening them up. But we didn't, it was just basically massage and, um, you know, um, hands-on massage because we didn't have, he didn't do needling. So I enjoy a bit of dry needling now, I've got to say. So that's kind <laughs> of my go-to thing now. I'm seeing the physio on Wednesday. I'll be guarantee I'll be getting some dry needling in those tight calves. But generally back then it was really more um, management and, and really we had a good chat about what training I was doing and how I probably should just treat that niggle so that it didn't convert into an injury. So I'd probably say didn't have a lot of lower backs and obviously some, um, I twisted my ankle a few times out in the forest. So, you know, I'd be, I'd be, I remember the first time I did it on um, Chapman's Lane, Mount Helen, just oh. at the back of the uni. And um, I remember it was, I was halfway through, it was my morning run, 10K morning run. And I was about halfway through and I remember twisting it and um, just running home. And I um, <laughs> a bit sore, I've got to say, <laughs> I could have got home and um, sort of sitting around and um, ten, I think Tanya and I, we just got married and been married long around Mount Helen and um, said to Tanya, I said, oh, actually that ankle's swelling up a little bit and getting a bit sore. Anyway, so she said, yeah, I think you better, maybe you better ring Pete. So I rang Pete, kind of went in and saw him. And he said, oh, yeah, so look, yeah, you've twisted your ankle, you know, as well. So obviously, you know, when you ran, you twisted it, you just stopped and did Tanya come and pick you up or did you, you know, were you near home? I said, no, 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 I finished the run. He said, no, mate, you can't be doing that. You? And so he put me on crutches, you know, I, didn't, I was on crutches for about five days and treated it and all that sort of stuff. But so I learned, I learned from my mistakes, <laughs> it'd be fair to say. So I was a work in progress. I think Pete probably, he shook his head at, at how I treated my niggles and injuries. So, you know, that, that relationship developed where I do remember I was, um, again, I'm rambling, but I remember going and seeing him and I'd, I was getting, I'd had this, um, uh, this sore um, knee and I, I bumped it. I fell over and hit um, some cobblestones in uh, Hyde Park in, in just before the London Marathon and this knee had been hurting me. And, you know, I sort of two s steps forward, one step back. And anyway, I was getting a bit frustrated and I was kind of went to see him and I was whinging and he, he just, he, he didn't quite grab me, but he said, look, Mona, look, it's okay. Trust me. Okay. What we're going to do is you're going to have a day off tomorrow. And I said, no, no. And he said, you are. So he demanded that I had a day <laughs> off, I had a day off. And, you know, that was enough to just get on top of it and away I went. So I was a difficult patient at times because all I wanted to do was run. And I didn't really have the respect that the amount of work, and I look back now and I think, my God, how I was able to put that amount of work through my body and not, you know, not have my body push back on me. You know, again, that's what I, I should, I'll be forever grateful for my legs because they, they put up with a lot and they oh. just adapted and got through. So um, I was, was a bad patient. <laughs> I feel like that's a, a really like now. <laughs> I feel like it's a reputation a lot of distance runners live up to. I've heard we're, uh, we're really good when we're told to train more, but when we're told to have a day off, it starts to get a little bit more challenging then, especially when uh, you're a self-proclaimed OCD about your training. So I think, I think you're not unique in that department, are you, Mona? They are, that seems to no. attract the OCD kind of mindset, this sport. Yeah, it seems to. And, and I, I, the other thing I find really unusual, and I, you probably can relate to this and some of the people listening will, you know, I, love, I could run, you know, an hour every day. And for me to go in the gym, which is I'm sitting in the office, we've got a gym room right next door, like I can tap on the wall and there it is. And for me to go in there and do a half an hour of glute activation, um, you know, um, Swiss ball exercises, I've got a Swiss machine, a, a Smith's rack in there so I can do seated calf raises, I can do squats. For me to do half an hour in there, it is like amputating a leg. <laughs> I do not want to go in there. But let me tell me to go for a run for an hour and I'm out the door in a flash. So it's just, it's weird. Why, how could I, why would, why would we want to do that? Surely just going in there with a bit of music, sitting around, having a bit of a break in, in between a few reps. Surely that's easy to go in for a run for an hour, but... That's who we are. Oh, so that's it's why so we true. do what we do. It's so true. I laugh often, Mona, because I've just joined a local gym down here because uh, I always promised Jessie that after my distance running career, it, she wouldn't see my ribs for the rest of our marriage because uh, every time I took my <laughs> shirt off, she was like, come on, that's not the ideal kind of physique. She was actually very encouraging, but I knew what she was really thinking. So I thought, all right, I better, I'm 34 now. I've been out of the sport for about eight years competitively. I better go and make uh, make good on that promise. And I go down there sometimes and you're right, the amount of uh, I struggle with it sometimes as well, especially here because you've got the 
like the beautiful ocean uh, just across the road here, the nice beach paths, a little bit of sunshine and down to try and work on that golden complexion, which I've never seemed to nail. Or you can go to this gym and, uh, and watch these blokes doing their leg press and then take a five-minute break to check Instagram. I thought, hang on, I think I know where I'd rather be. But uh, it yeah. is it is funny. I'm, you're definitely right in saying I, uh, I I come from the same cloth as you, Mono. A run's a lot easier for me than a gym session. But those bloody um those trails, I've still got a weak right ankle from. I think I was with with you you on one particular morning run, and it might have been early uh, in the in in my piece in Ballarat, and I was just trying to blend in and not draw too much attention to myself. And I think I did the biggest ankle roll of all time. I think I did about fourteen somersaults. I was so embarrassed because you came running back to make sure I was okay. And I think I think Pete would have been pretty disappointed in me as well because I think we were still fifteen k's from home. <laughs> and my only yeah. option was either just walk or just try and keep up and pretend it didn't hurt. And I took option B because it was so early in the piece and. Uh, yeah, it, uh, it wasn't pretty then. And it, it, to be honest, it probably still needs a little bit of rehab now. <laughs> I probably ran back and told you to just get up and get on with it, mate. <laughs> yeah. Tough enough. Get mate, out mate of here. you're not going to run a 208 marathon if you just walk it here. That's no, very funny. Well, that's very funny, Mona. Um, but Mona, happens I was gonna... to the best of us. Oh, well, that's part of the um, the durability factor of those trails up there. I feel like if you can get through 10 years of training without it happening or being able to return the week after it happened, you're probably in pretty good stead to uh, to run some some big PBs. But it's interesting what you're talking those about. Those forests were really good, though, and I think they slowed us down. Everyone thinks, you know, you know, I used to run at three-minute Ks or quicker over the shorter stuff, a little bit slower over the longer, over the marathon. But most of our runs out there were, you know, 430 five-minute Ks even in some sections because it was hilly and technical. And whilst we didn't run on sort of, you know, really what what people would call trails now, they were trails enough to just slow us down. And I think that's one of the, the, the great things. We could we just ran within our own level. It was just really time on legs. So we almost forced you not to run fast. And yet you got that real residual benefit because we're running over rolling hills that were toughening our quads and, and legs up, no doubt about that. Yeah, and there's a couple of boys I mentioned him before, Nath Hardigan and Ash Watson, who were definitely not afraid to attack some of those hills. Whenever I saw both of those boys on a Sunday morning long run, I said my prayers and laced my shoes and, <laughs> and just crossed my yeah. fingers because I knew it was going to be a, a painful run out there. There's Tough a run. there's a little bit of a uh, little bit of pride attached to making it to the top of some of those hills, and some of those hills are quite brutal. Yeah, I know. And um, Ash has actually become a really good trail runner, an ultra runner. So he's won Surf Coast Century a few times and holds a couple of Australian records. And um, people might know that was the Portsy run, the run um, down to Cape Shank and back down there. Um, is that called? Uh, oh, God. Yeah, people I wish know I could it there. But you, he's yeah. become – and he loves that longer stuff. And he could just – I remember a few months ago I was um, – I'm an ambassador for um, the uh, – Great Dividing Trail or the Goldfields Trail, which is a series of walking trails, riding trails, running trails from emanating out of Darlson, sort of goes up to Bendigo, uh, down to Bacchus Marsh and um, here to Ballarat. And um, they opened a new section from um, Darlsford down to Bacchus Marsh. And I always love to do it because I'm kind of, you know, nothing being like being an ambassador for a series of trail runs. So you've got to get out and do it. And I wasn't <laughs> running because my calf was uh, was sore. And so I said to Ash, oh, I've got to run this trail before um, before I, before I they officially open it and um, have a look at it, give them a bit of feedback, that sort of stuff. And I said, oh, you know, or else I'll run it. So anyway, we set off this, this Sunday morning and, about, um, I think, oh, God, I don't know what it ended up being. It's about 88K, I think, but we took a couple of road sections and it was about 78. He just did 78K. I was having more trouble on the mountain bike because of some of the hills and stuff. He was waiting for me. I was holding <laughs> him up. Amazing capacity to just run distance. We got to um, um, Blackwood was about the halfway point and uh, Tanya and the kids came out and, and oh mate, I was hoofing into sandwiches, lollies, <laughs> drinks. So I needed all this recovery because I was starting to cramp. And he, I think he had a couple of gels, and he was right. Off he went. Oh, oh, it was well, amazing. It's so funny. I ran freak. against him. Yeah, he is a freak actually. And uh, anyone who knows him would just be nodding their head right now. He's always had an incredible tank on him. And I remember, yeah, 2018, I ran a marathon, and uh, I, I thought I'd have a, I'd have a fair crack, and I went out. Uh, harder than I should have minor because my training definitely wasn't tailored towards the marathon. But that first 20K, I made one of the ultimate mistakes. I assumed coming from a 1500 meter background, that was the easiest pace of all time. And I could do this for hundred Ks, let alone just 42. Anyway, I'm not going to, uh, I've mentioned this too many times. The audience will be disgusted if I, I go back there again, but it wasn't pretty minor. 
And uh, I remember about 20 Ks in, I was running in the same group as Ash. And I was thinking, geez, I'm bloody running well. And I ran up alongside him and I said, mate, how are you traveling? He's like, yeah, mate. And I was, I was working pretty hard at this stage. He's like, yeah, mate, I'm just cruising at the moment. As soon as I get to 35K, watch me. And I was like, oh, okay. And then I watched him and uh, he, he backed up his statement with a lot of confidence. And I thought, okay. And I think as fast as he was going forwards, then I was going backwards. And uh, yeah, it made, me, it made me have even more of an appreciation of just how talented he is over that, that longer stuff. It's, it's pretty incredible. He knows his body very well. He's about to become a dad for the second time. I ran with him yesterday and he's um, a week away from their having their second child. They've got one, Sienna, and um, Jen and Ash will be proud parents in about a week's time, mate. So I'll, I'll say hi to him, Tyson. He'd be happy to uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I'll, say I'll relate that story to him. I reckon it's probably been as long as I've seen you since I've, I've seen him. Mona, um, I'm looking at the clock. So there's a few things that I, uh, I haven't asked you that I've got written Sorry, down. That I've, I'm sure. I, no, 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 Mona, hey, I you're ramble. not the one to apologise. Yeah. Ramble, as I said, <laughs> Troopy was the uh, one of the best podcasts I ever did because we went down so many rabbit holes, I couldn't believe where we were and it was just so much fun. So I should have I pre-warned you, there's no such thing as a ramble on, on this show. Um, I, I was going to ask you, Mona, so obviously I've, I've sort of run alongside you from time to time a few years ago, but I've had the, mm-hmm. um, the, the good fortune of being able to, uh, you know, just watch you from a distance and hear some interviews and and watch your performances and things like that. But one thing that's always stood out to me is you you seem to be incredibly, um, I don't know, your your mindset seems perfectly tailored to the marathon in the sense that from the outside, at least you seem very relaxed and it seems that the the most relaxed kind of individuals are, uh, uh, they seem to fare quite nicely over the marathon. Don't mind Jesse. He's just gone upstairs. Our our little (laughs) fella's just poked up, piped up. Um, I've become the king editor of background noise here, Mona. But uh, yeah, what, what's the, uh, it, like, if you had to explain your mindset, are you, are you doing any, or were you doing any sort of real focused work on, on that? Or is that quite natural to you, just that ability just to be able to, you know, just keep showing up and, and you know, stay positive and it push through the, the, the walls that so many of these marathons throw your way? Yeah, I, it's something that I've become a bit more um, known for. I probably wasn't at the, you know, when I, through my career, it kind of just, when people now look back and they think, God, you, you know, you're consistent, you always turned up and you always delivered. You know, I remember, I think there was one Victorian cross country season where, you know, I won all the races and um, just things like that, my ability to be able to turn up and perform. And I, I think it's something that I'm born with. My mum and dad are still alive. Dad's almost 95, mum's 90. And um, and they, they came from a really tough country background. Now they were not successful in sport or anything generally, but they were just... I don't know what that word resilience means or where it comes from, but it's sort of there's some stubbornness or innate ability that I inherited from them that allows me to just sort of be quite focused. And some people, I say focused, my family say say anal, which I think is probably more correct probably, <laughs> but I think that ability and and I, I have a capacity to just set program or set myself some challenges and I can stick to it despite external influences I I compartmentalize really well so I think my training I I established such a routine and a consistency in my training you know I would always get up in the morning I would always be there at night you know frustrates me a little bit now you know people say they're going to turn up and they might find a reason not to turn up and they'll send a message five minutes before saying they're going to be 10 minutes late or something and I think well no just you know just make it this a priority and I had a capacity to do that over a very long period of time and that commitment to just being on time always being reliable not letting my friends down uh, those those characteristics served me really well when you then exaggerate that and put yourself on the start line of Olympic Games it's the same thing it's just on a on a biggest on a wider spectrum you know you got to the race is going to go the gun's going to go and they're not going to wait for you they were all there we're all even so all of that training is then got to and you're not going to have the perfect race so you've just got to put up with hey this is just going to be as good as it can possibly be and for me it's having the mindset of well what's going to, there's going to be things thrown at me I'm just going to bat them away and just knock them and just keep persisting through that and I think that ability to do that and you know you're not letting down your friends when you're doing it in training. Well, when you get to the Olympic Games, mate, you look down there and your friends are the Australian crest right there. You're representing your country. 
So you're not going to let them down either. So it's kind of the same situation that you're doing in training and in life. It's just that it's extended to being this public display when you're doing it at the at the highest level at something like an Olympics or Commonwealth Games or World Championships. So I think I practiced it so well in training that it allowed me to just, it was second nature for me to then do that in a race. And I never thought of pulling out of I never pulled out of a race in my life. I never thought about doing that because to me, that was just, it wasn't something I'd ever considered. You know, I don't, you know, um, it's a bit like, you know, when you get up in the morning, you brush your teeth or you have a shower, you go to the toilet. I get up in the morning, I go for a run. And I don't kind of think, everyone says, wow, you must be so bloody committed. You're so dedicated. How in Ballarat it was, you know, minus three degrees at six o'clock in the morning, you got up and went for a run. Yeah, I did. Oh, gee, that was amazing. Really? Oh, <laughs> what was, what's amazing about that? I just got out of bed and I just went and I did it. And I didn't, I didn't kind of think of that as being anything different than just part of what my life, that was just what my routine demanded that I do. So I really find that I think that just got reflected and magnified when I was then putting on, um, you know, in a race, in a, in a public performance where there was just an expectation. That's just what I would do. So I think we sometimes you just got to normalise what you think are really difficult situations because they're no different. My legs don't know that we're on the start line of the Olympic Games. It's just like going down and running a, you know, a, a few laps around Lake Wendouree. So I'm just calling on them to, to do the same thing that they've done. It might I might think it's impacting them differently, but to be honest, it's the same physical demands that I've been putting on my body in training in the leader. Yeah, really well it's said. It's in life, Tyson, just basic, you know, don't get, you know, everyone thinks, oh, that's too hard. It's some massive decision they've got to make. If you break it down to very simple, um, manageable things, you know, I tell the story of, um, you know, we all want to solve world peace. You know, there's a war, there's probably, there's wars going on around the world all the time. You know, we all, we could have a conversation. We could get the most intelligent people and the best brains in the world on this podcast, mate, and we could spend an hour trying to solve world peace. Or, and tonight is bin night in Ballarat, and we had a neighbour who was an elderly lady. She's not with us anymore. I would go in and I'd take her bin out. Now, such a simple thing. You know, if I did that, she did next door neighbour and a few neighbours down the street in Webster Street, we all did it. Then the suburb all did it. Then the Ballarat all did it. If everyone in the world all took the neighbours' bins out, we'd solve world peace at one mm. rubbish bin at a time. Yeah. It's yeah, not that hard. That's that's awesome, Mona. That's awesome. And I feel like that uh, that keep it simple kind of motto is is probably Sorry, the... my daughter's got to come in and get her year 12. Uh, no, um, go for it. That's fine, Mona. Yeah, I'm so glad you didn't so see just before my go. wife. She <laughs> thrilled behind the camera. She dropped our baby back up the bed. And she, I was trying so hard not to laugh because you're making a really good point and it didn't matter. It wouldn't have come across well if I was laughing at your awesome point as, as <laughs> I had to just give let you know in case there was a smirk. But um, uh, what was I going to Yeah, so that, that, that sort of simple uh, approach to the sport is, is probably at the core of of what I was touching on it. Yeah. You never seemed like the, the kind of bloke who um, tried to overcomplicate anything. It's, it's amazing how many people out there have, you know, all the gear and, and no idea or all the opinions, your armchair <laughs> critics who can tell you exactly what's working and why it's not. But uh, you, you seem to have that, that ability to get out and get it done and boil it down. And I always found yeah. uh, one thing, actually, we've mentioned Troopy a couple of times tonight, but one thing I saw him tweet out a while ago was, in regard to to Jake Riley, the uh, the the marathon runner that he was coaching, qualified for the uh, for the Tokyo Games over the marathon, he said it wasn't it's not a secret what we did with him. Uh, he goes, it's very simple. Here's the exact layout, and I, I read it and I thought, mate, that like in terms of structure, it's the most simple layout you could ever see. But in terms of just getting up and getting it done, that, that's where it starts to get a little bit more difficult. And uh, it seems yeah. to be a trait amongst a lot of people that I talk to on here. Stewie McSwain's no different. Uh, Troopy, I know he's a high-energy guy, but he seemed to like that uh, ability to boil things down to its its most basic level and just focus on it like that. But it, I, I often found it was a lot more difficult to to actually be so clear to boil things down. I'd get too in my head at times and overcomplicate things. And it was all, I reckon, every PB that I ran was on a day where I was like, all right, you're just going to go out, you're going to hang with the pace, and then if you feel good, then you try to run past them. And uh, yeah, I think, I think we, we probably have so much external influences now and we kind of we're searching for answers and there's so much information out there that we can just get so overcome with information 
that you get confused. And I, I can't see how anyone could make a decision on if you, you know, there's so much, um, it's information overload. So a lot of the times, you know, you need to just boil it down to things that are important to you and what you can control and what mean enough to you. And even if you just write them down, you know, I always tell people want me to do interviews or they want me to send a message, I'll say, write down five points because after five points, I'm going to be lost. So you can't <laughs> say it in five, five sentences, I'm done. And that probably sums up me in my life. It's pretty simple. Mona, I wish you had told me that at the start of this podcast. I would have been far more direct with some of my questions. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and me with my answers. Um, hey, before I uh, before I wrap it up, I know it's probably no no secret, but just for those who are, who are really interested, there's a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of people who are fascinated by the, the training side of things of just all different athletes. And I know you mentioned a couple of numbers before in terms of how many Ks you've done. Uh, but what did the uh, what did the old marathon structure look like for you when you were preparing for an Olympics or, or just any championship for that matter? Was it a pretty standard routine that you were going through throughout the year? Oh, really standard. And I'll give you an example. Um, Moose, uh, as I mentioned earlier, Julian Spencer has been living here in Ballarat. He's not so much here now, but... I remember he asked me one night, he said, so on a Tuesday night when you didn't do, I don't call it monofartlek, I just say my fartlek, but it's monofartlek, people will know. He said, when you didn't do uh, fartlek on a Tuesday night, what did you do? Anyway, I'm sort of, I'm running along and a minute passes and two minutes passes and I go, geez, mate, to be honest, if it was Tuesday night, that's what I did. And the only time I did anything differently was if I was coming into a race, I would really mix it up and do something completely differently, Moose, on a Tuesday night. I would do 13-minute fart leg instead of 20. That's it. That was all. Just I could not come up. I looked minutes. in my diaries. Yeah, I couldn't find anything different. So I would always do – so, you know, I'd do my couple of big runs on a Sunday. So I'd do 34, 35K, you know, in the forest, as we mentioned. And I'd get out and do another 10K that night. So I had a massive day on the Sunday. And I started my week on a Sunday, surprisingly, because I love to think that I'd done 44, 45K over marathon distance in two runs, granted. But it was just a great way to start the week. So that was almost my quantity done. The rest of the week, I could just run around and, you know, I'd do... I'd run, you know, just morning runs were sort of 8 to 10K and then of a night I'd run 16K Monday night. I'd do my fartlek 15K, so 5K warm-up, 6K, well, that's 16, 5K warm-up, 6K lap of the lake, 5K warm-down back to where I was living in Wendouree. Um, so at 16, Wednesday night, a longish run, so I'd do 25K, run down to the pub, run from the pub out the forest with the boys and run yeah. back home. Thursday down the track doing the Deeks eight quarters with a 200 float. Um, that was about 15K by the end of that. Friday night, another 15 to 16K. Saturday morning, we go out and do hills. Uh, that was the only time I needed to drive anywhere. Every other 13 of the sessions were from, from home. That's how good Ballarat is to train from. I drove out to Shire Avenue. In fact, just near where our first house was, that house in Mount Helen, running what was arguably one of the toughest hill courses in Australia over, which you probably have done out at uh, the top of Shire Avenue. So do that Saturday morning. That was, I used to think it was 7K hill course, apparently on GPS, it's about six and a half. So I was cheating <laughs> myself and do a bit of a warm up and a warm down around the streets out there. And then I'd get to some number. So it'd be, if it was 173, I'd do 7K that afternoon to make 180. If it was 190, I'd do 10K to make it 200. And, that's just how my week worked. And um, Sunday morning, I'd get up and I'd do it all again. Isn't that crazy? And what that that uh, closing out the uh, to the closest 10 was that anal factor that your family's talking about, was it? Just to finish yep. on a nice even exactly. number. You're going to have to yep. go back Running and Running around at home. Yeah. And all those, <laughs> that's right, I'd do 180, 190 or 160, 170, 180, 190 or 200Ks. And we look back now, all the GPS is corrected. Mm -hmm. the, the run I see from the pub, so I'd run down there. It's about one and a half K down there and, um, one half K back and I think we called it, we used to call it 16 and um, and we measured it's 14.7. So there you go, it's at 1.3 K, I was kidding myself. So jeepers, I'd have to re, if I go back and re, re, write all those diaries all over again because I was, was nowhere near it. I was going to make that joke and I thought, you know what, I'm not going to talk to the poor bloke because I can imagine he's going to go out and do it. Yeah, well, I've, I've been so meticulous with my training and yet we look back now and GPS has made me the, look like the fool I actually am. But as it turns out, it's only training and my race results are obviously um, reflected. They, they, I don't have to rewrite them. They st they've stood the test of time pretty well. 
Yeah, no, awesome, Mona, awesome. And uh, hey, just before we wrap it up, so you were saying you were uh, you, you kept pretty detailed training journals of the whole journey as well, did you? Yep. Do you want me? I've got them there. I'd right. love, just I'd love to see. Show. Hang on, you go, right, Mona. There you go. There's a collection. What's that? 1989 to London Marathon. 1983 when I first started with Chris Wardlaw. 85 when I went to World Cross Country. 1990, so Silver Commonwealth Games and won. Did I win Berlin? Yeah, 1990. <laughs> Do you want me to find that? Look at that. I'll find that one for you. So 1990 Berlin Marathon was September 30th, I reckon. I need my glasses on. Sorry, mate. I'm boring you. You're definitely not boring them, Mona. I reckon uh, this is this is gold. There you go. 6 a.m. breakfast, 6.30 a.m. massage. There you go. So oh, pre-race. Pre-race. Berlin Marathon. Shuffle an easy warm-up. 6.46 mile pace plus a couple of strides. And then I've got results. Ah, oh, funnily about that, the results haven't changed. First, 208.16. <laughs> 208.16. Yeah, a great day, historic win and got a victory at last. 43K day, and you'll see just to prove, I don't know if you can see that there, but it says 43K, 43K daily total and for the year, a weekly total, and for the year I'd done 5,786 days the 30th of September. Nice little so payday as well for you, was it, Mona? Was it was a really nice payday. We <laughs> were very happy, very very happy. And like I like to tell people, so first of January, just this just proves it. What's it say on the first of January? I did. So what did I do? So Monday, the first of January, nineteen ninety, I did fourteen k. Was that forty one for the week? Yeah, because that was a Monday. So. And I start down there with um, 14. So that's obviously the first day, first day of the year I did 14K. And on the last day, this is the proof of the pie. Proof's in the aging, isn't it? So the last day, 31st of December, 7,615Ks for the year. Sorry, there you go. Bloody so hell. Starts at zero because that's the first step you take on the 1st of January and the end of the year. Think about that year, silver medalist, Commonwealth Games, one Berlin marathon and ran 7,600 Ks for the year. That's a that sort is. of um, training. We're all in there. So that's what they all are. There's the diaries, proof. Right Jeez. That's unreal, Mona. That's really good. See, I've got a training diary as well. I think I won an interclub on a Saturday once. <laughs> but, uh, I was hey, probably Mona. in that race, mate. You probably beat me. <laughs> My claim to fame, Mona, I told you an hour. Uh, we've just gone over, so I'll wrap it up there. But, mate, really, really good to uh, to catch up with you for one. And, and second of all, super grateful that you, you made the time to come on. So I'll probably post this one on uh, – what is it? I'll probably post it tomorrow. So I'll, I'll tag oh, you right. if you want to have a listen. If you're braver than me, you want to listen to your own voice. But, um, <laughs> no, it was good to Sounds catch good. up with you, It's been Mona. great. Thanks, Tyson. Terrific to catch up. And that's the thing, you know, we're, we're mates because we shared that running time when you were here and – and that's what running does. You make mates that um, stick with you forever. So great to catch up. Glad things are going well with the family. And um, hope we got some value in there for, for your listeners as well. And look forward to chatting again soon, Tyson.